Stoey, he did such a great job. If you missed it, you should listen to it online if it was recorded. I think my mom told me she listened, so I believe it's online. You've been listened to from North Carolina. Um, but just did a really great job. And, and one of the things he said is that if gospel centrality is really a value of ours, then um, whether we preaching or singing or talking and announcing, we'll just keep hearing it um, and almost feeling like we're overlapping in a sense. And this morning as we were worshiping, I was like, wow, um, my sermon notes and the worship songs on hope are, are fortunately overlapping um, because there's a Christ centrality to it. Um, so before we get into it, let me just invite us to do two things. We're going to pray quickly for Kevin Amada from the front. They're, they're doing an a, a, um, all-of-a-sudden trip to Africa and America, hopefully included. Um, and so we're not going to see them for three months as they leave this week. Is that correct? Or in the next week? Yeah. And then we also want to welcome Julian and Michaela uh, and their family back. So uh, let me um, pray for Kevin Amada. Um, and let me pray for the Janssens, and wherever you are, can you just agree with me? Steve, are you right there? You can just lay a heavy hand on Julian, a uh, fatherly touch. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for our uh, brothers and sisters and these young children that they are raising, these blessings. Your word says that children are a blessing from God, and we thank you that they each have been blessed uh, from God recently. Um, we pray for Kevin Armada and their need to uh, travel uh, to both see family but also visa-related issues. And we pray, God, for your blessing on their trip. Uh, we pray that everything would go well, as well as possible. Um, and we pray, God, that the family time in those two countries would be a sweet time, uh, both in South Africa and America. We pray that these months that we miss them, uh, four or five months, Father God, that they really would have a, a fantastic, transformative time where your presence is just manifest through different ways that you would supply all of their needs, um, that day by day, week by week, they would see your hand, your blessing, the ways that you provide to them, Father God. Um, we thank you for them, Lord. Uh, we pray for Jules and Mix, Lord, and this new little family, Father God. We thank you so much for your hand on their life, for the beauty that we see uh, in their hearts towards you. Their love, the love of Jesus displayed to one another and to us. We've all experienced um, the kindness of God through their, uh, their kindness to us. We pray for your blessing over this young family, God. We pray um, for them to know your hand, your protection, your healing, your goodness, your kindness, your discipline, your abundant love, your grace, your mercy, um, your rest when sleep is lacking. Um, we do thank you, Father God, that family is a wonderful picture of your love for us. Uh, family at its best shows us how you want to experience relationship with us. And um, we thank you for that. Bless them, Lord, in your precious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so last time I spoke, I, I thoroughly enjoyed um, doing wor a workshop with you. And so we're going to do something similar again. Uh, if you were so glad that it was over last time... Uh, just remember how that felt, because we'll be over at some point as well. Um, but if you loved it like I did, then, then here we go again. So uh, find a group. You don't have to walk around too far, but just find a few people that you're comfortable to, to chat with. Uh, no more than four, just so that everyone gets to talk. Um, but please feel free to walk around the room and uh, find a group. So can you just do that real quick? Um, get into a group. All right. I think everyone's got a group. That's good. Um, 
if we keep doing this, we'll probably have to name our groups so we can keep like a scoring system or something for the end of the year. Um, let's see who wins. Uh, so what I want you to do, first thing I want you to do is to um, come up in one sentence, come, uh, one pithy sentence, come up with a definition of hope. Okay, so hope, H-O-P-E, in one pithy sentence, come up with the definition of hope. I'll give you a minute. All right, one more minute. Uh, no, I want one more minute. A few more seconds. Who's done? Can you just raise your hand if you're done? Oh, brilliant. One group's done. No one else done? You're done, you're done, you're done, you're done. About half. Okay, we've got about half the groups done, so let me interrupt you there because we won't be able to write down everyone's anyway. Um, I need a couple. I, I appreciate some, pe some people may, I think I may have used pithy wrong, so that wasn't a great start. Uh, I may have set you off on the wrong track. So hopefully you could figure out what I was trying to ask for, and we can get a couple of sentences. So... Uh, the group said, you guys, what's a... Desired future, desired future outcome. There we go. That's... I don't think anyone can read this. Can you read this? Okay, well then don't... Let's not even bother with the whiteboard. It's going to be waste. Desired future state. Uh, next one. Your group... Uh, Beckles... Yeah, go ahead, Anae. Uh, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Hope that the best is yet is the best is yet to come. Great. Hope is eternal life in Jesus. Hope is eternal life in Jesus. Oh, you went the Jesus is the answer way. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Any other groups? You don't. Deeply desiring for something. Great. Yeah? I, I believe it's like self-assurance. Self-assurance. Because instead of just ensuring that you're all good, it means just yeah. self-assurance in the moment. Okay. Self-assurance self in a moment. Yeah. Okay. Others? Deep intrinsic push to be open and to step out of what God has for you. The willingness on, of your heart based on faith. That's what I <laughs> And last group. Kev, your group, last one. Instead of expecting good things, but like a flexible expectation. Flexible expectation of good things. <laughs> okay. So uh, I've said that. So, Miriam Webster, you don't do that for. Uh, preaching notes, you don't look at the dictionary to understand words, you go look at a Bible dictionary to understand what the Bible words mean in Bible times. But just to understand how we use hope, because we do use hope in English, so to understand from an English dictionary how we use it, uh, one of the definitions of hope is to want something to be true that is based on the strength of desire in the person who wants it. So to want something to be true that is based on the strength of desire in the person who wants it. So this is similar to, by illustration, there's a guy named LeVar Ball. Anyone heard of LeVar Ball? Yeah, a lot of people who follow sports have heard of LeVar Ball. LeVar Ball is the father of three sons, two of which play in the NBA, and he's quite a controversial figure. Uh, he tried to start a league that was opposing the NBA. He tried to start a shoe brand that opposed Nike. Um, he hasn't been successful in those things, but he has been successful in raising two and a half sons because his third son plays in the G League. 
uh, in the NBA. And so everyone's quite interested. Uh, sorry, the G League is a reserve league for the NBA. So he's like one step away. It's not as bad as it sounds. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so everyone's quite interested in LeVar Ball because how have you raised two sons who've uh, managed to get into the NBA? And his answer is, I've spoken into being. Um, in other words, I've had a future desire. I've had, I believed for something that uh, I, tr I really kind of trusted in myself for, and I spoke it, I willed it, and it came about. Um, what's interesting is some journalists have kind of gone after that a bit to take all of his interviews and listen to all the things that he's spoken into being and kind of show how many of those things haven't come about, um, really to kind of assassinate his character. But it is also just interesting if one of the ways that in our society we think uh, of hope is willing things to come about or speaking them into being, um, we need to be thinking about that. Another way, though, uh, the Christian definition of hope or a Christian definition of hope is this, a certain, a certain expectation of what God has promised in the future that is based on His faithfulness. A certain expectation of what God has promised in the future that is based on his faithfulness. So Hebrews 16:9 says, "We have this hope as sure and as a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain." So in the in the Israeli language, it's talking about the presence of God, a hope that goes right into the very presence of God for us. This verse, uh, sorry. Uh, so this verse is talking about the person of Jesus. And it says that it's based on his character. So, uh, uh, sorry, where's the... Uh, an anchor for our soul. A steadfast anchor for our soul. This expectation of what God has done. And in the one way, it goes, it's, it's got to do with my desires, and I can will it into being. And the other one goes, it's got to do with what God has promised, and his character will ensure that it will come about. You see how the two are kind of quite contrasting to each other. And so maybe over here we can simplistically package this, I hope it's okay to do this, into wishful thinking or speaking. It's probably too simplistic, but let's just put it there. Is there can be some wishful thinking or some wishful uh, speaking in our society where we hope for something. I hope you have a good day. There's nothing I'm going to do about it, but I hope it, it comes true. Uh, I hope you have a lovely dinner. I hope you get some good sleep. You know, I have not... A, my, it's wishful, it's hopeful, it's, yeah, hopeful. But on this side, it's expectant feeling and thinking based on what God has said. Uh, so I hope for, or I hope in, Christ's return. Why? Because God has said Christ is going to return. So I'm trusting for that, I'm expecting that, I'm waiting for that, I'm holding out for that. Um, so if we, just let, if we can keep these two kind of sides, because I, I don't think, even if, for those of you who are Christians here, and you kind of, you've developed your theology, you're going to put yourself right here all the time because it's right thinking. Unfortunately, we don't live always in what we know to be true. Sometimes we do things that surprise us and disappoint us and don't align with what we believe to be right or wrong, right? Like you might think that being reliable and showing up on time is good, but you might not always show up on time. You might get put out and show up late for some reason. In other words, no one is able to live at that point all the time. So we're going to try and find where over here are we in our hope? Where do we actually kind of live? 
And so um, Jack Kwong, I, I don't know him, but he wrote a study. Uh, he studied hope and, and he wrote about it and he found that for someone to have hope, uh, there's two things are required. They must genuinely desire something in the future. The, uh, they must genuinely desire it. So in wishful thinking, if I say, oh, I hope you have a good rest, I, you know, to new parents, oh, I hope you have a good night's sleep, and I just go away and forget about it, is, is there genuine desire from me for you? Or is that just kind of cultural pleasantness? I hope you have a nice sleep. If I call you tomorrow and say, hey, how was your rest? How, how was your sleep? That maybe shows some more genuine desire, right? Anyway, the point is there's got to be de uh, desire for something in the future. Um, Stephen Ambrose wrote that our past gives us knowledge, but our future gives us hope. The historian, uh, Stephen Ambrose. Our past gives us knowledge. As we look back, we learn stuff. But as we look forward, we have hope for something. Um, and the second thing we need is not only a desire for something in the future, the second thing we need, he found in his study, was that we have to see a way that is genuinely possible for it to come about. So for new parents, I can't only want you to have a good night's rest, I have to see a genuine way for you to having a good night's rest. Hence why I might say to young parents whose children are teething, uh, have you tried brandy? <laughs> That's not me hoping that you would raise alcoholic children. That's me hoping that brandy will take the pain away so that your child will sleep so that you will sleep. What is the gen genuine means that you might get some rest? Let's try and work this out. What can we uh, try? What are the, you know? So you can't just have a hope for a future. If you can erase that um, example from the tape, that'd be great. Um, you can't just have a hope for a future. You also have to have a genuine means that you can believe in to get there. LeVar Ball, in that example, genuinely believed that he, his own will was the means by which he could get to what he wants in his future. He's not the only one. So um, let me give you an example. Let's, let's say, for example, a woman comes to two people, uh, two poor uni students who've just graduated, and they don't, neither one of them has a car. And this woman comes, and she says to both of them, Go and purchase for yourself a car, and I will cover the debt. But go do it, bring it to me, and I'll pay it off. And these two people go, and the one person gets all the way to signing it. But as they look at it, and the, the, uh, you know, they're taking on a debt of $50,000, the person goes, I can't, do, I, I, I can't do it. I can't sign this. Uh, it's too scary. It's too risky. The other person looks at this and goes, they've gone... You know, not only do I want this car, I want to make sure that it's a red car. I want to make sure it has these wheels. I want to make sure, and, and the contract comes for them to take on the debt. They happily sign it. What's the difference? What's happening that's different to their experience? They've both received the same promise. They, they both could have the same future of a car spoken to them. But why does one experience anxiety and doubt and nervousness, and they just can't take the step. The other one experiences creativity, actually gets more aware of what they really desire. They want something red with these kind of, they want like a special uh, little uh, license plate with their name on it. What, what's the difference in experience? Trust. The difference in experience is this one's not sure that the means can, is really reliable. 
Even though they have something that they want in the future, they would love this car, they don't know that this is a genuine means by which to get it, and they don't want to be left with the debt. The other person is sure that this person is reliable, that this debt will be covered, and they're happy to sign, uh, really trusting that this is a genuine means by which the future car can be guaranteed. So you have to, it's not enough, let's come back here, it's not enough that we even hear the same things from God, we really have to believe that there's a genuine means by which these promises will be fulfilled. Right? So there's, a, there's something in the future, and then there's a genuine means that, for attaining that future. So, I mean, we experience this every single day. If you go for a job interview, you might want the job, and you take your resume and your wonderful charismatic personality into the interview, and you walk in confidently. Why? Because not only is this something that you want, you also think you have everything you need to get it. I am the means. My skills, my giftings, my experience is going to get me this job. That's okay. Sorry, just all of you think I'm lining you up to go like you shouldn't trust in yourself. That's totally fine. God has given you gifts and, and talents and skills. You should totally walk into an appropriate interview with some confidence that you could get the job. If you walked into, you know, if I went for an interview to be a doctor at Royal Perth, I would not feel like I could be confident in the means. Maybe I'd love to be a doctor at Royal Perth, but I don't have the means by which to get through that interview. Do you, do you understand? Okay. So any form of hope, whether it's wishful thinking or um, the Christian form of hope, has to have these two aspects, a future desire and a reliable means of getting it. So that's what, what, what hope is. What, about, what is the importance of hope? Tim Keller says, this is what Tim Keller says, what we believe about our future is the main way we experience and process our present. Just try and work that out as, as I read it out. Try and think about that. What we believe about our future is the main way we experience and process our present. If your hope is to move to Australia and have a better life, and then you move here and your life is difficult, that will be greatly crushing, right? Let's say you move here because it's a safe country, but then your water heater gets stolen in the night. <laughs> Not only will Josh minister to you with empathy and compassion, but you will be like, there's crime everywhere. I've, I haven't escaped that. I'm crushed. What if you move for better economic reasons and you come and you can't get a job? You know, we could just, what if you did this? What if you bought the house? What if you moved in there? What if you had that relationship? What if we, for these reasons, but it, didn't, it wasn't as we thought? What we believe about our future is the main way we experience and process our present. If you hope, okay, so as a group, I just want you to list like 10 things, and we will try to write them down on the board, not because you can read them, but because then I can remember them. Uh, list like 10 things that people put hope in or hope for. What are 10 things people put hope in or hope for? All right, hopefully we've had enough time to put, uh, collect 10 things together. So, uh, there's about 10 groups. Hopefully, each group can give me at least one, one or two. So just uh, let's start from the right. Can you guys, what's, a, what's something? Yeah. 
relationship. Uh, children, not just children, but how they turn out. Decent's a pretty low bar. <laughs> I think you can hope for that. <laughs> job? Uh, anything more specific? Just a job or anything about the job? Fulfilling, uh, financial remuneration, security. Yeah, great. Hope is a girl's name, I get it. Carrier, <laughs> anything, anything else you have to offer? <laughs> Sorry? Religion. Religion. Very good. You guys? The good life. Good life, the good life, Jim. You guys? Uh, landing a babe. Landing a babe. Is that different to relationships? <laughs> Do you want to try again? Another one? Disability. Stability. <laughs> Stability. Okay. You guys? Or anyone that hasn't gone? Yeah? Health. Sorry? Health or healing. Yeah. Next. Financial. Stability. We've got finances here. Sorry, it's just a dollar sign, but. Yeah, good. Government. <laughs> Lions, sports, no kidding, that's, that's a great one. Who said that? <laughs> Food. Did, you, did someone say me? Not as in me, did someone say they put their hope in themselves? No. Okay. Others and self. Anything else? Education. Hope for the best for our children. Uh, yeah, best for <laughs> children. And education, as said. Education. Merit. Merit. Uh, how is merit? <laughs> is can you, merit is. Right. Ability. Good parenting. <laughs> <laughs> Hopeful good parents. I can tell you I can tell you at least I can tell you at least three people who are gonna be disappointed in this room today. <laughs> a home, thank you. I can't believe a home hasn't come up yet. Maybe that comes under financial stability or something. <laughs> water heater okay let's just say uh, that comes under comfort right okay let's pause there and let's just look at a couple of these um, but, but we could keep going indefinitely all day is the heater on or the cooler am I the only one warm in here it's pretty yeah, okay this is our dance every week 
Um, okay, so if we look at these, and if what we believe about our future is the main way we experience and process the present, then let's take one. Which one do you want to take? Just pick one. You can't read them, but home. Okay, let's pick home. How could home be something we hope in? Happy home, security home. Security home. Home is security. Sorry? Shelter. So having a home is like part of the Australian dream, right? Or at least it used to be, certainly. So the idea there was that somehow, if you had a home, you would, you would like be growing up, maturing, and becoming secure, independent, right? In, in some ways, the, the nervousness about your future is being minimized by the security of your present because you own a home. Is, is that correct? Some, something along those lines. So what happens now to young people today as the Australian home has been drilled into them and then they go out into the market and see the cost of a home and what they earn and go, there's no ways I'm going to be able to buy one. What, what happens? Sorry? Hopeless. Discouraged. Worthless. Betrayed. Angry. Frustrated. All sorts of things could come up. Why? Because there was a hope for the future that wasn't attainable, so the present experience wasn't comfortable. It wasn't easy. Do you see how the, the, what Keller says actually does work out? That our, our ultimate hope in the future does affect every way we process the present. Well, let's pick another one. What's, a, what's another interesting one? Relationships. Relationships. What are we picking on? Friendships or spouses? Friendship. friendship. What, can we, what could we expect in friendship? What could we hope for in friendship? Loyalty, be known. Memories, adventures. Someone to be there. Support. Trust. Okay, so again, something that's good, that's God-given. Jesus is called the friend that's closer than a brother. That deserves its own, own sermon. Isn't it interesting that Jesus isn't the brother who's closer than a friend? He's a friend that's closer than a brother. What, what, why, why does it say that way around? We'll, we'll talk about that next year. But uh, that's fascinating. That, that, that is intentionally said that Jesus is the friend that's closer than a brother. Um, but when we think about friendship, we have certain good hopes about friendship. We look at a friend as someone that will keep us from being lonely, alone, someone to enjoy moments with, someone who gets us, someone who we can be vulnerable with, that we can express ourselves to. Who wouldn't like a friend where they don't have to have any filters. They can literally just be themselves, honest with themselves, even more honest with that person than they can with themselves because they experience from this friend the love of God, the acceptance of God, the kindness of God. Their love for them covers all of their sins. The Bible says love covers a multitude of, of sins. And our friend and their love for us covers our weaknesses. We want that, right? We look for that. And then as we're walking with someone, a friend, if we've, if we've got that kind of some sort of bar of expectation on, on them, what happens, let's say you share something which to you feels vulnerable, you've shared with no one, and then you, you share it with your friend, and you hear it from a third friend which you haven't shared it with. 
What happens in you toward this person? Distrust. So anger. Betrayal. Hurt. Resentment. We haven't even got into, is this like best or worst case scenario? We haven't even got into, was it intentional? Were they gossiping? Or were they just oblivious of how vulnerable it was? You're immediately hurt. Why? Because it's not first what was their intention. It's the fact that your hopeful friendship has already been disappointed by the present. Right? And so any of these things, if if they are our ultimate hope, if that is what's going to make life satisfying and fulfilling, if that's what's going to help us to flourish as human, if this is our ultimate hope, and these are good things, and there are good things in them, and we should have some hopes for them. But if they are our ultimate hopes, then they determine ultimately what we experience in the present. So this is why hope is so important. And, and uh, many uh, commentators say that hope is like probably the most underrated Christian quality. The, most uns- the, the, the thing we should be speaking about all the time that we hardly ever speak about. Because it touches every single day of our lives, but we rarely bring it up. Randolph Ness uh, wrote this. He says, we experience hope and despair not at the beginning and end, but in the midst of our long-term effort. What he's saying there is, you know, when we, when we initially are hope for something, we don't then feel hope and despair. And, but it's as we journey uh, through the efforts to try and make something happen, if it starts to succeed, we start to feel hope. Oh, this is going well. You know, those of you who've built a house in Australia know the other side of this, where you go, yeah, this, is, this is going to go well. We've got all the boxes ticked, all the I's dotted, all the T's crosses, we've accounted for everything, and you start the journey, the hard effort, and people let you down, and you experience despair. And that, that's, that's okay, that's, a, that's appropriate. But the hope and the despair kind of show us how the things are going that we're, we're hoping for. Does that make sense? So, Viktor Frankl writes this in his story, in one of his books. He tells the story of a fellow inmate who's in a concentration camp. And he says that this inmate had this kind of premonition or dream that they were going to be released from the concentration camp on the 30th of August, the specific date. And he set his hope on the freedom that was going to come, the 30th of August. Then... As the years started turning around and they got closer and closer to that, so as the journey towards that hope for future came, he started realizing this was not going to be the case. Too little had happened for them to be free by the 30th of August. And so he began to experience despair, or as Julian termed it, hopelessness. And he literally, his immune system broke down. And he got sicker and sicker and sicker until he, di- he died right around that date. His body could not stay alive without hope. Without hope, we are the walking dead. Hope is something God wants us to live with. To be a flourishing human being, you need to have hope. 
Our, um, our relationships, our friendships cannot grow without hope. Our marriages cannot go forward without hope. Our church cannot go forward if we don't have hope. Our careers have no value if there's no hope for them. Etc., etc., etc. Your ultimate hope and your ultimate future is what you ultimately experience. Tim Keller. So, last point. How do we find this tree of life? Because that was the second part of the verse. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's what we've described. But uh, a desire fulfilled is like a tree of life. So how do we find this tree of life? What's interesting in the, the picture here is that in Genesis, there's a tree of life that Adam and Eve are welcome to. And in Revelation, the restored new heaven and new earth in, in this picture of what it's, what, where we're going, the tree of life is back. And so we're in this in-between time of knowing that God wants us to experience the tree of life and knowing that God will make sure that we experience the, the tree of life. And right now we're like, well, where, where is the tree of life? The desire fulfilled is like a tree of life. Where can we find this tree of life? So, if we put our ultimate desire, our ultimate hope, not not our, our small hopes for the day, for rest, for food, but our ultimate hope in something that is ultimately rooted in this life, then suffering, circumstances, and death could take it away and leave us heartsick. So I, I've been married for almost 19 years. I've got to look at my wife and accept that our hope cannot be in this relationship, not ultimate hope. I'm going to disappoint you, you're going to disappoint me. If we are putting our hopes in each other, we are going to let each other down and we're going to crush each other. Our hope has to be in something else. If I look at my kids and I say, my hope is in you, my security for the future, how I'm going to proudly talk about what I've achieved in my life, my, my merit as a human being is going to be determined on how you get shaped as adults and what you become will crush them. They can't sustain the hopes of anyone, let alone their dad. If they put on me, who, whichever one of them put it on the board, <laughs> the best parents who make no mistakes, the parents who see our future and prepare us for everything and are always examples of God to us, then I will be a crushed father because I will disappoint them, because I will not meet that standard. If we put it on our jobs, that they must be totally satisfying, that they must give us a total sense of meaning and purpose, then our jobs uh, will be a great disappointment because no job can give us a total uh, sense of meaning and purpose. If our neighborhoods are supposed to give us dignity and identity, then we're going to be really upset with our neighborhoods when they are flawed and frail. We can go on and on and on. So where is the tree of life that we can find? Jesus interestingly said, those who come to him, he'll give them food so they'll never be hungry again. 
and he'll give them water so they'll never thirst again. Can, can you, I mean, I, I'm glad Jesus didn't pick me for his PR and he didn't pick anyone else either. Uh, he does his own. But those are like, that's one of the stories I'd love to just go, Jesus, that's going to be misunderstood. Can we just say that another way? Because I feel like I need to get up and explain for Jesus that what he, he doesn't actually mean that he's got like some bread in the back over here that's going to like just keep filling your tummy. And he doesn't actually mean that there's like water. Because what he actually means is something even far more radical. Far more radical than like supernatural food that just feeds your belly and quenches your thirst. What he's saying there, and he's recognizing that, you know, pictorially, food and water is what gives us life. It's what sustains us. And what he's saying is, come to me and you will have all of life. You will never face death again. You will have everything that's essential to live. In other words, Jesus is in another way saying, come to me and touch the tree of life. Come to me and get the source of life forevermore. He's putting himself right there. Listen to what uh, Paul says in, in Hebrews, because I guess the question is, and I want to flip it of, you know, what is our hope is going to be in Jesus because he's our tree of life, but what is Jesus' hope? If everyone has a hope, what is Jesus' hope? Do you know what Jesus' hope is? I'm going to tell you. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes, In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, listen to this, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, Paul's talking about himself and his companions there, and the Ephesians, we were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ. We all are those who by God's predestined plan and will have put our hope in Christ. He's, he's making this great assumption that our ultimate hope is in Jesus. None of these things. And we did this when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with the seal in him, the promised Holy Spirit. So he was, you were given the Holy Spirit as a sign, as a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We often think of this rightly. We think of these verses and we preach these verses, I think, in an appropriate way and show that our future hope is in Jesus. We have been given the Holy Spirit who encourages us, who points us heavenward. And we can, when we think about that, it helps us that our, our Jesus will not let us down, that God is faithful and we can trust him. And that's how we preach these verses. And that's true. But a lot of commentators have asked this question um, and I think it's a great question, is whose inheritance is it? As you go through the verses word by word by word, you get to inheritance and you get stuck on that because whose is it? We get that we've shared, we, we, we share it, and I've preached on this over here, that isn't this fantastic? We, we share an inheritance, but it has to be a living inheritance because no one's dying. So it's got to be something that you share in life. But whose is it? Who does the inheritance belong to? Who's the owner of it? And the answer is that it's God's. It's, it's God's inheritance. And that's so curious and that's so interesting. Because then what is his hope for it? What does he want for it? What is Jesus' hope? And we figure out that Jesus' hope is you. Have you ever thought of that? This blows my mind. 
Now, I don't want to say that you know, as an easy shortcut for you to have to have your mind blown, but have you ever thought of that, that Jesus' hope is you? Not Jesus' hope is in you. Jesus' hope is you. This is what Jesus hopes for. This is what Jesus desires. When Jesus looks for the future, what he desires and hopes for is an eternal inheritance, a future with you, shared with you. That that's his hope. That you are his hope. He's not hoping for a house or a car. He's hoping for you by name. That when he went to the cross, he didn't like it, as Anna famously said when she was inviting people to serve at King's Cross, service isn't always comfortable. The cross wasn't comfortable for Jesus. It's probably good to remind ourselves that Jesus didn't run to the jump on the cross. And yet, for the joy set before him, what was the joy? Why would anyone let alone the only perfect, pure, righteous, good, human, be willing to submit themselves to such a murderous, hateful, painful, brutal, shameful death for the joy set before him. What is his joy? You. For the hope that through his sacrifice, he might make righteous the nations of the world and bring them to himself. That through his death he might give life. That through his righteousness our sins might be covered. That's what the grape juice is. A new covenant. A covenant of his grace. That his blood was spilled for us. That his body was broken for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah prophesies about him. But his heart, his motive, his reason is his hope for an eternal future with you. Man, that's precious. Why is that precious to me? Because when I misplace my hope and I've got to go to God and go, God, I feel discouraged, I feel disappointed, I feel hurt today, I feel angry, I feel resentful, I feel bitter, I feel what is going on in my heart? Where does my hope lie? If I've got to meet him perfectly halfway, it's never going to happen. But why can I run back into his presence and say, oh no, my, I've lowered my eyes, my hope is in other things. Why can I do that? Because he holds space for me. Because his hope, is, he never takes his eye off of me. He never takes his hope off of me. Bringing me into an eternal inheritance is not wishful thinking for him. It's not, Mark, I hope you get here. It's, Mark, my hope is that everything I have done is sufficient for you. And you will be with me. Oh, but Jesus... I put hope in a relationship that wasn't you. Jesus, I look to my wife to satisfy me. It's okay, Mark. But Jesus, I looked for security and money. It's okay, Mark. But Jesus, I ran after adventures and pleasures. It's okay, Mark. You are still my desire. None of that changes the future I want, the future I see. And it's important because Jesus doesn't base it. Remember, you've got to have a future, a desired, desired future. But the second thing you have to have is a genuine means to get there. Jesus doesn't uh, place his genuine means for his hope on me. 
He places his genuine means for hope on God, on what he's achieved at the cross. When he went to die at the cross, he wasn't trusting that his disciples would pray for him to be raised from the dead. He was trusting that God the Father would raise him from the dead. Miraculously, that somehow God would enter that tomb guarded by the Roman soldiers and raise him back to life. He wasn't going to raise himself back to life. The disciples weren't going to get in to raise him back to life. He was, his trust was in the character of the Father, the promises of the Father. And if the Father promised an inheritance to Jesus, then Jesus trusted that the Father was going to give him an inheritance. And he trusted that the Father was going to give him every single one that he had promised. Jesus isn't just trusting that God will get most of his inheritance home. Jesus is trusting that the Father will get it all home. When Jesus says, it is finished, Jesus is trusting that it is finished. When Jesus says, come to me, there's no way to the Father but through me. Jesus is saying, I am the way to the Father. I am the only way. I am the true way. I am all you need. He's really trusting in a genuine means. I am wrapping it up. So is eternal life with Jesus your ultimate desire? Do you rely completely on Him to get there? I mean, just pause to take yourself out of a theological question. If, you're, if you've been a Christian for a while or whatever, just, just don't just answer the question, yes. Think about your hopes and dreams. Think about the state of your heart. I've had to, you know why I'm preaching this? Because over the last few weeks, I've had to work on this in my own heart. I've come to the pulpit knowing, and I've said this, uh, I don't even remember who I've said this to, is I don't know if I'm preaching to anyone except myself. I don't know if there's anyone who needs to hear this, but I know I need to hear this. On my hopes, genuinely, in the home, that he is preparing for me in the relationship that he has promised me reconciliation with the father in the work that he will give me that he is the way to the good life alone that in him is all stability can only be found in him, that he will restore health. So when health goes down and my hope was in it, I don't have to be crushed, but I can go, I'm experiencing a horrible relationship with health right now, but I know where the story ends, so it can't crush me. This health, my lack of health may kill me, but it won't keep me dead because I see how it ends. Government, that he is the government overall. So when my government does things I don't like or puts pressure on me or, or makes my life hard or does things that are against my convictions or my faith, that I can look beyond it to go, but God is sovereign overall and I can trust him. So even though the ground is shaky, I will not fall and stumble because he is the one, the King of kings and Lord of lords who rules over all for all of time. This is a blip on the screen. And we can keep going. 
We don't demonize good things. I don't go to my wife and say, you are hopeless. I don't need you. I have no hope in you. I go to her and I say, please help me. I want to have the appropriate hopes for our relationship where we're going to walk with God together, but we're going to look at Him and we're going to stumble and fall. But together we can encourage each other and press us towards Jesus. Well, I go to my kids and say, not you're hopeless and useless and you can't fulfill my dreams, but I go to them and say, if you ever feel like I'm pressuring you for my ego, for my merit, for my dreams, please speak up. I want to come alongside you and encourage you towards what God has for you. I don't always know what that is. And when I mess up, I'm going to ask you to forgive me and I hope that you will be able to do that. If you feel disappointed or sadness or anxiety or frustration or despair or loneliness or lethargy or lack of motivation or discouraged or disheartened or gutted or regretful or angry or resentful or let down, then maybe there's something in your heart that may be hoping inappropriately in something that's other than the Lord. Maybe your eyes have mistakenly. This is what I had to do to a friend recently. Is I had to go to a friend and say, I'm sorry, on this thing, there was a hope placed on you that you as a person could never fulfill. And it needs, all it needs to be taken from you and go back into Jesus. So then what happens? And I close with this. What, what happens in the end? How do we know if our hope is on Jesus? This is how. This is, you know, let's be practical. When our hope in areas are not on Jesus, then we become self-serving because we have to protect ourselves. We have to look after ourselves. We have to provide for ourselves. So it can be in marriage. It can be in family. It can be at work. It can be in friendships. It can, it can be any, in any situation From the outside, it can look the same, but on the inside, you're becoming self-preserving or self-enhancing because you've got a God, you've got to take care of yourself. If your hope's in Jesus, then then you can say this, God, I know you've got me today. So I know that I can therefore go and just be a servant to you, however that may look. God, I know you've got me, So I don't have to look for my kids' acceptance and approval. I can go love them. God, I know you got me, so my work doesn't have to provide me with affirmation or merit or security because you've got me. I'm totally secure in you, so I can go do my work freely and I can go work hard. But I'm not looking for it to provide my security. I can be let go today and it won't crush me. I'll be disappointed. It's not going to crush me though because you are my security. Do you you see what happens is when our hope is in God, the outworking is that we can go love others. When our hope is not and it's in things, the outworking is that we begin to use others. We begin to look for others to uh, serve our ego or our desires or our wishes. And so my question to you today would be, are you in a position where you easily are able to freely love and serve others because you know you're taken care of? Or are you in a position where you feel like you're you're scrambling 
and struggling because you, you have to take care of yourself. You're vulnerable. Because God, and this is the last thing I'll say, God through Jesus, the position he wants you to have is to know that you are taken care of. It's to know that he's got you covered. It's to know how it ends. To put your hope in his faithfulness. In his word. Because he doesn't want you to be crushed. He doesn't want you to be deeply, deeply disappointed. He doesn't want you to not be able to get out of bed because you are so um, discouraged by life. He wants you to be able to look to him and say, God, I don't understand the suffering I'm experiencing, but I know how it ends, and I don't really know how we're going to get from here to there. Every now and then I used to get migraines. Three times I ended up in the hospital. This is what happens with suffering, and I'm, I'm sorry that I'm using such a simple health thing. I know some of you experience far worse. But in those moments where I, can't, I couldn't imagine my head feeling any more pain, when they give you medication, there was great hope that this would take me back to that place of no pain. And I'm over here, and the distance has got great, and I cannot wait to see how this works. I start looking deeply forward to it, profoundly forward to it, distracted by anything. Hey, Dad, would you like to play basketball? No, no, all I want is this. Hey, Mark, do you want to go on a date? No, all I want is this. Hey, Mark, would you like a million dollars? Not really. What I really want is this. Somehow suffering focuses you on the promise of what God has, the healing and health and wellness and goodness and presence of the Lord and uh, relationship with all the saints. In other words, your circumstances and suffering don't destroy you or crush you. They hone in your focus on what He's promised. When things are going really well, it's quite hard to know where our hope is. But when we hit the bumps, what do we long for? It helps us see where our hope is. And if you find that your hope, like mine, has you turned your eyes not upon Jesus, but on other things, then you quite easily run to Jesus. Say, Jesus, help me to turn my eyes back on you. Let me pray.